Hey guys, Kate here, and you're listening to Traveller Kate. I created this podcast to inspire travel and encourage people to do so with meaningful purpose and a conscious heart. tuning in again to Traveller Kate, my second podcast for this season. I am getting used to this podcasting thing, so I really appreciate all the listens so far. I wanted to talk to you today about Papua New Guinea. I recently had Al Manning from South Sea Horizons join me on another podcast, Rome, which is the podcast for where wild things roam. And we had a little chat about what he does in Papua New Guinea, how he operates his tours and why it is really important to balance tourism with the community and the places that you do visit. So I wanted to discuss a bit more in depth about my experiences in Papua New Guinea. Uh, I found them um, something that actually was quite life-changing for me. So for those of you that don't know, Papua New Guinea is just probably three and a half to four hours flight, depending on where you leave. Three and a half from Brisbane, four four hours from Sydney. So it's pretty much on Australia's doorstep, not far away. It comprises of about 600 small islands and only 13% of the people are living in urban areas. So it is quite raw. It's it's quite a undiscovered destination. Um, It has more than 800 indigenous languages and approximately 312 different tribes, including some uncontacted people. So when I say raw, it really is a raw experience. Al described Papua New Guinea as a cultural safari, and that is pretty much spot on the mark. So there's a lot to learn and understand when visiting Papua New Guinea, which is why attending a festival is always a good way to do this, get insight for the people, the culture. And there's a number of festivals they're held year round, which showcase each different region and the different tribes. The Mount Hagen show uh, is quite popular. It sees hundreds of different tribes converge on Mount Hagen every August for the annual cultural festival. It's a celebration of traditional and tribal history as the tribes recreate their own legends and tell their story. Another really popular festival is the Garoka Show. It's an intense display of rich and vibrant culture of Papua New Guinea. Tribes from all over gather in the town of Garoka for a weekend of music, dancing and amazing tribal rituals. It's probably one of the biggest shows in the Highlands and can attract up to 140,000 people, including 40,000 painted warriors who will dance across three days, generally held in September. I really want to speak to you though about the newest and possibly the most interesting festival I've ever attended, and that's the Baining Fire Dance Festival. 
I was incredibly blessed to be just a handful of people to witness this inaugural event in October last year, and I was taken over by Al from South Sea Horizons. It's a cultural spectacle that awakens all of your senses. The festival is based in New East Britain province, and it's held across two days. The unique cultures and subcultures on display at the Fire Dance Festival gives an insight into how culturally diverse this region is. There are over 50 mass performances and each one is as unique as the other. You'll also get an insight on how kind and welcoming and friendly the Papua New Guinea people are. The crowds will mingle with you. You'll really be immersed within the village life as well as enjoying the show. It's a community-driven initiative with over 1,200 performances in attendance and many more that help to prepare for the event. Unlike the other festivals and events that happen in Papua New Guinea, this show is actually in the town. So the Binding Fire Dance Festival takes place directly within that village and it gives a more authentic and genuine experience. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about my experience at the Banning Fire Dance Festival and what it's all about. So basically it's it's a ritual that's performed for special occasions such as initiations of young boys into adulthood. It can also be performed to commemorate the dead, to celebrate the harvest, the arrival of a new child, a wedding, other special occasions like that. It's happens even if tourists aren't there to witness it so it's a part of their everyday culture everyday life while the festival is great because it actually shows other tribes of the area and cultures come together and it's actually narrated by a man called dr jacob simmett um, who translates the narrative of each individual cultural group so you can actually see and hear and feel and understand the performance a little bit more in depth. But basically the day starts with different tribes coming forward. It might be separate men's groups, it might be women's groups, it might be mixed, and they do tell a bit of a story. So, for example, there was one group that were... Uh, depicting to be dogs and there was a story that goes a woman befriended these dogs and they came and looked after her and and protected her in her house Um, it was a very entertaining performance that one the crowd seemed to love it the intricate masks and costumes that they wore you you could really tell that they were dog-like creatures um, so throughout the day this goes on and, and there's more and more tribes and different masks and it's so colourful and it's it really is a spectacle that it, it just engulfs all of your senses. But obviously it all leads up to, to the evening where they begin building a fire and there's chanting happening and as the fire builds and the chanting builds, you, you kind of lulled into this this trance-like state and then from the jungle emerges these masked men with ghoul-like kind of comical masks with massive eyes and and they start dancing around the fire and as the chanting continues, the trance and watching that fire, it draws you more and more in and it's like you're just in a zone where you're looking at this fire 
and nothing else around you exists. As you sat in this lull, just mesmerized, it is a big shock when the first warrior runs through the flames because it's an explosion of embers and light and the smoke that swirls around that. It's so exciting. And then you don't even have time to breathe because it's one after the other. They're just running through and I don't know how they kind of prepare their mind for it. I've seen fire walking before and this is nothing like this. These are grown men running into these flames and these logs are huge, like the size of your thigh and they're kicking them and throwing all these embers into the air and you kind of question how they can mentally do that and not be fearful or not hurt themselves even. This display of bravery goes on through the night and as the fire dies down, you'll get the last men just running through and kicking up those embers high into the air and it really is a spectacle that you have to see to believe and it leaves this magic even long after those last little embers die down that will stay with me forever and it's, I guess, because something that's relatively unknown to the wider world had this kind of secrecy feeling about it. So the Baining Fire Dance Festival was due to run again this year in 2020 for June and October. We'll see what happens with that due to the circumstances. But if you would like some more information about that particular festival, do get in touch with me or jump on the South Sea Horizons website, which is www.southseahorizons.com. And there is a lot more information on there and speak to Alan Manning and about what is happening for the following year. So you can start planning that adventure. Now, beyond the cultural and tribal experiences you can have in Papua New Guinea, there's quite a diverse range of activities and experiences, starting with the diving and I guess snorkeling underwater world. I remember my first trip out to Papua New Guinea, I went to a place called Tawali Resort in Milne Bay and I did a snorkel just off from the resort at a place called Coral Gardens. It was the best snorkeling I've ever to this day still done. It was teeming with marine life. The corals were so colorful, hard corals, soft corals, really healthy ecosystem out there. And the fish life just swarmed around me. It was like I was the only person who had ever been there. Uh, the diving is just as fantastic. There are a number of dive spots around the country. And a lot of these dive sites are actually wreck dives. Because of the war in the Pacific, there are still a lot of remnants left all over Papua New Guinea from that war. 
Now, speaking about that, I just wanted to mention probably one of the most famous uh, parts of Papua New Guinea when it comes to the war, most well-known, well that's for sure, is the Kokoda track. For those of you who don't know too much about Kokoda, I'm going to try and give you a little brief overview from what I know. It's a place of Anzac reverence and personal challenge and has been a place of pilgrimage for travellers for many decades. The Kokoda track is one of many walking tracks in Papua New Guinea that existed long before the Europeans discovered this part of the world. It was used as trade and cultural interaction between tribes and still to this day is used for that purpose. But during the course of World War II, the Japanese decided to use this trail as a means of ground attack against the Australians in Port Moresby. The idea was to take Port Moresby and use it as a base from which to stage a direct assault on Australia. One end of the track lies in the north of the country at a village called Kokoda. It winds up and down over the rugged Owen Stanley Ranges and finishes at the south at Owa's Corner near Port Moresby. Both Kokoda and the northern coastal plains were the scene of violent close contact jungle warfare as the Australians retreated in the face of the Japanese onslaught. The Japanese were finally stopped at a place called Meter Gap and they extended their supply lines too far into the rugged terrain and began to die of starvation. The Australians then chased them all the way back to the northern coastline. Today, the remains of that war lay strewn in the jungle and the track has reverted to quite a solitude disturbed only by occasional trekking groups. There are several villages along the length inhabited by peace-loving, hospitable locals. These are the descendants of the people who became known during the war as the Fuzzy Wuzzy Angels because of their selflessness in helping those Australian soldiers. South Sea Horizons actually offer trips to do the Kokoda Trek and I really do recommend looking at them as your preferred operator. Reason being they practice responsible tourism that gives back to those communities that they interact with on the track. They not only employ the local Papua New Guineans as porters, historians and cooks, but you use them while trekking along the way and they can give you a true insight into what their families described it like at the time. In a way, they say that these are the last remaining Fuzzy Wuzzy Angels. Beyond Kokoda, I spent some time in a place called Rabaul and it's in East New Britain. Once again, with South Sea Horizons, Al took me up there and showed me the war history in that area. Now, not many people know this, but that was a place where the first soldier, the first Australian soldier to ever die in war fell. And there's a fantastic memorial you can go visit there. We also went a little bit underground and saw some tunnels that the Japanese used and converted into an underground hospital. Now, I would never have found those by myself and this is where going with a local operator that knows the area, grew up in the area, uh, can show you these kind of places that you would maybe otherwise miss. From there we also nipped across to a place called the Duke of York Islands 
Once again, you could still see history from the war in this area. There are a lot of ruins left around. You can find old coins on the beach from the soldiers that were there. It really is a, an area up there in East New Britain that has everything from snorkeling and diving, swimming with wild dolphins, to the war history, to the the binding and the fire dance. So going beyond, I think, those, those main areas of Papua New Guinea to the outer islands is definitely worth doing if you are going to go over there and visit. Now, last of all, I just want to wrap up with, I guess, the issue of safety and more so the misconception of Papua New Guinea. My first trip there I did by myself and it was, I will admit, I was a little bit worried to start off with because I'd heard such stories of the area, how dangerous Port Moresby is and how everyone drives around in cars with blacked out windows and you can't leave your compound. And I love this about traveling to places is when you are pleasantly surprised. And I was pleasantly surprised in Papua New Guinea. The people there were so welcoming and so friendly. I didn't feel unsafe. Now, don't get me wrong. It's like traveling anywhere that you're not familiar with. You always need to be cautious and have your wits about you. I really recommend you do your research before you go to, to places that you're not sure of. But from the moment I stepped foot in Port Moresby and, and traveled around that country, I felt nothing but warm love from the locals and I, I, I felt safe. And it really is sad that it has got this reputation for being a dangerous country because it's not. You can travel to this country. You can see the beauty of it. You can understand the people and the cultures and really get a sense of what life is like there without being scared about it. So please do always do your research before you travel anywhere. But like I said, that's where I think it is important to use a local operator. And I know I have mentioned his name a lot throughout this chat, but Al at South Sea Horizons cannot speak highly enough of him. He is uh, born and bred from Papua New Guinea, so it is something he is very passionate about. It's close to his heart. He lives in Australia now but spends a lot of time going back and visiting, obviously, and he really will show you the true Papua New Guinea. So that's it from me for this episode. If you do have any questions, please do get in contact. Uh, you can visit my website, travelerkate.com. It does have a lot of information about Papua New Guinea on there and my visits. Or follow me on my socials, all at travelerkate with two L's, traveler. And you can see some images from Papua New Guinea. And any more questions beyond that, feel free. Just drop me an email and I'm more than happy to give you some advice. Once again, thanks for listening in and I hope I have inspired you to go and discover this land of undiscovered in Papua New Guinea.
Oh,